0: If you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, the capacity to have wonderful, rich, wholesome relationships in terms of your perspective, you've got the capacity and the power to do it. You can think like Jesus. You can act like Jesus. He says it's yours. It's yours.
1: This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of author and speaker Crawford Lorenz. Today we're continuing in a series titled, Choose Joy. Now last week Crawford spoke about choosing joy in our circumstances. Today the first half of the message, Choosing Joy in Our Relationships. If you're new to our program, a big welcome to you. Crawford's been involved in pastoral and organizational Christian ministry for over 40 years. He's the author of several books, including Unshaken, Leadership as an Identity, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Again, glad to have you with us. Hope you'll join us throughout this series. Today, Crawford will begin to look at four characteristics of people who choose joy in their relationships. Number one, these people fight for unity. Number two, they act like Jesus. Number three, they look to God to validate them. And number four, they realize there's a lot at stake. Let's head to Philippians chapter two. Here's Crawford Loretz with the message, Choose Joy in Your Relationships on Living a Legacy.
0: Now, you might say, choose joy. That sounds a little bit weird. Isn't joy an involuntary response to great things that happen? Well, therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. Because as we look at the book of Philippians, and not only the book of Philippians, but throughout the Bible, but particularly in the book of Philippians, you find Paul using the term joy or the joy group of words 14 times. But he often links joy with another word that he uses about 10 times The the Greek word phroneo, or mind. And then when you look at the texts in which he uses joy and mind, he often will, in the media context, talk about the will and choice. And so although joy is an emotion, that's true, joy is an emotion, but it is also a decision and choice. And I need to say this to us because we really need to get this here. The Apostle Paul, counter to what we feel in our culture and society, where we think with our feelings, the Apostle Paul makes the assumption that the will can control the emotions. That's not being emotionally inauthentic, by the way. He makes the assumption that the will can control the emotions. And so he says, for example, I quoted this from Philippians 4 6, we've quoted, be anxious for nothing. He, well, he commands us. That's an emotion. Stop being anxious. He makes the, makes, the, makes the observation that your will can control these things. So, thus, the title Choose Joy. Choose Joy. The other thing I would say is that joy is not cheap, joy is very expensive. And that's not just some cute play on words, joy is costly. And we tend to get joy, and I'll, you'll find this a little bit later on as we wander through the passage here, we tend to uh, uh, be most joyful concerning the things that have cost us the most. We'll see this in a, in a few moments. So. Here, in chapter 1, is choose joy in, in your circumstances. Today, I'm going to talk about choose joy in, 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 in our relationships. And, and then we're going to talk about chapter 3, choose joy in our pursuit of Christ. And then chapter 4, choose joy in our overall outlook on life. But today, we're going to talk about choosing joy in our relationships. Let's face it. Nothing can cause us more pain and more heartache than broken relationships. Trust has been violated um disappointment expectations the truth of the matter is all of us there is not a person who lives in in true isolation oh you might be a loner and you might not get with people but even in your mind your mind is connected to other relationships we all live in relationship and the problem with relationship is that there is not a perfect person we hurt each other We are sinful. We bring unrealistic expectations to relationships. We look to people to give us what only God can give us. We get disappointed. We make promises that we cannot fulfill. We make commitments that we can't fulfill. We got little quirky Things about us, idiosyncratic nonsense about us that bugs people. We're like porcupines, and personality differences. Some of us suck all the air out of the room when we walk into it. And and you know, we got all this got all this drama in our lives. We we got we got kids who are all different in our families. And you know, we got all this stuff. And most 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 churches break up and most organizations break up and most companies have problems based upon relational nonsense, relational stuff, relationships. We live in relationship. So Paul here in Philippians chapter 2 is talking about, oh, how do I choose joy in relationships? There are people that we don't like. There people my like, I don't like. I love them, but I don't like them. <laughs> you know, we're all there. Now, I want to say this up front here. Uh, because I, I, it, it begs to be said, listen to me, listen to me. Uh, this might surprise you, but there's some relationships that we ought to get out of. That's true. Uh, the Bible teaches that. There's some relationships that we ought to get out of. The Apostle Paul says in what uh, Romans uh, chapter, chapter 12, what is that, verse, uh, verse 18, if at all possible, As much as it relies or rests upon you, live at peace with all men. Okay? The very way that he phrased that, this is the same one that writes Philippians chapter 2. The very way that he phrases that, he says sometimes it's not possible to live at peace with people. And the Bible teaches that we should not be in those damaging, dysfunctional, sinful relationships. No, you got to get away from that. But here's the problem, uh, it only takes one to forgive, but it takes two to reconcile. So sometimes, you know, you can't be in relationship with a person, why, it may not be the ball, it may not be in your court, it may be on them, and they refuse to do that, and so you shouldn't be held hostage to that. So I'm not talking about sinful dysfunction, people who will not repent of their sins, and this kind of abusive relational nonsense that glows in the dark, we, we all know what that is, Paul's not talking about that, but he is is talking about pressing into even difficult relationships here in Philippians chapter 2. So the question is this, what does it look like? What does a person look like who chooses joy in relationships? What does it look like? And I'm going to outline the text applicationally. Now, I'm only going to cover up through verse 18, um, and I'm not going to touch on verses 19 through the end because Paul uses two relationships in his life as an illustration of what he's talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus. But I think that there are four things, four characteristics of people who choose joy in their relationships. Now, this is work, this is intentionality, but they're characterized by these four things. Number one, they fight for unity, they fight for unity. Uh, Number two, they act like Jesus. That's the import of the illustration that he gives here. Number three, they look to God to validate them. And then number four, they remember and realize that there's a lot at stake. And so, Paul does not deal with these relational issues with a quid pro quo mindset, and he say you can massage and this kind of thing. He, he, he deals with it in a very serious way, and I, you'll see this later on as I'll get to this, this whole issue of, 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 of uh, remembering that there's a lot at stake. I'll tip my hand right now because Paul is saying, look, 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 look. You gotta be careful with your relationships if you follow Jesus. It's no private matter. The condition of your relationships is not a private matter. It's a public thing. So the very first thing that he says here, these people who choose joy in their relationships are number one, they are are characterized by by this ability to fight for unity. Where do you get that from? Well, let's look at the first four verses, actually first five verses. He says... So, if there is any encouragement in Christ and comfort from love and participation in the Spirit and affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with, uh, uh, being full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition, etc. But let me just park there for a moment in that, that those first two verses there. The first thing that I would say is that this unity that he's talking about, that we're fighting for, it reflects Christ. He picks up his pen. He had some inkling that there are some relational challenges going on here at the church at Philippi. There's some issues happening here. And what does he do? He says, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. The very place, first place I want to start with is look, 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 look. Your, 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 your unity reflects Jesus. And if there's any compassion and there is, if there's any encouragement and there is, if there's any comfort and there is, the way you complete my joy and experience joy yourself, by the way is act like Jesus, or so remember that it reflects who Christ is. Those who have come to enjoy encouragement, love and fellowship with Christ and with His spirit should. Live in harmony with one another. Why? Because it portrays Christ. Now I do have to say this that there's a difference between unity and uniformity. Uh, true unity is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And thus the emotional statements that he's appealing to them with. Paul doesn't blast him. He says, Look, 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 there's comfort in Jesus, there's encouragement in Jesus, you know, there's sympathy in Jesus. You've experienced this. This true unity is a matter of the heart. Now, uniformity is the result of pressure from without. He said, if you've experienced the hope and the help and the refreshment that comes from Jesus, if you know of his love, if you know of his tenderness, his unconditional love, if you know of his acceptance, if you know anything of his compassion, and he has that, you know, what I want you to do is to live out that in your relationships. And I anyway, think what he's saying here, don't, ref- don't, don't face your relationships with a negative mindset. Some of us, please forgive me, we just got too much of an edge to us. Somebody's hurt us, somebody's messed over us, somebody's disappointed us, or whatever it might be. And we, we, we enter relationships with our guards. i saying, you're not going to hurt me, I'm going to try you out here. I'm going to fix this, you know. It's so, oh, stop it. Paul says, let your guard down. This is the way you should approach it. God's not defensive with you. This unity also is destroyed by selfishness. Paul says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but with humility. Count others more important or more significant than yourselves. Paul says, look, look, look. If you want to destroy unity real quickly... Be headstrong, be my way or the highway, use people. Some of us who are task oriented, please forgive me for this but I just need to be straight up. Some of us who are task oriented, some of us who who are driven by objectives, we like to accomplish things. You gotta be very careful in your relationships. Don't use people to get to where you need to be. That's what I'm trying to say and that's what Paul is saying here. Be careful of, of my way or the highway in your relationships don't mess over folks people are not strategic elements to help you to get to where you need to be and we got to be very careful of being utilitarian in our relationships he's also talking about being very careful about having to be the alpha male or the alpha female in your relationships where everything depends upon whether or not you're agreed with or rather not you're you know I've got to be right I I've got to have my way so the term conceit is all about It's all about you. And I got to tell you, I've run into a lot of those people in my life. God will always accomplish that which concerns you. Did you hear me? Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I said? God will always accomplish that what, he, what concerns you. You don't have to orchestrate your future, and you don't have to mess over people, and you don't have to chew up relationships to get to where you need to be so he warns us here, don't be headstrong, don't be conceited, don't be an alpha male, don't be an alpha female in your relationships. That destroys it. This, this selfishness, a spirit of pride in our relationships indicates a lack of humility before God. In fact, that's the next thing. He says this unity is sustained or nurtured by humility. This is what he says in verse 4. Uh, let each of you... Look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humble yourself. And we're going to see this in a a moment. Uh, Humility is not the abdication of station or selfhood. Humility is not the denial of your worth. In fact, you can't be humble unless you know that you have something. That's not what humility is all about. And these verses have been, I think, misquoted because he says, uh, 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 back up to verse 3, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. He doesn't say that others are more significant than you. He said to count them as more significant than you. This speaks of security. It's as if God said, look, I got you, okay? I got you, Crawford. I'm not going to allow you to miss anything that I have in store for you. Nobody's going to take anything away from you that, that, that I have in store for you. So what, what I need you to do is to treat people as if they're more important than you. They, yeah, they're not more important than you, but you treat them that way. Don't lead with your interests, but you lead with the interests of others. You know, preoccupation with yourself, basically what Paul is saying, is sin. Preoccupation with you is sin. Preoccupation with me is sin. And that's the reason why we fall out of relationships with people, because they didn't give me what I wanted. They didn't resource me. And so we quickly, we quickly, quickly move on. You know, pride and selfishness contaminates relationships. And basically, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. So first of all, what we really need to do here, as we look at our relationships and we say, I want to choose joy in, this, in, in my relationship. Remember, joy is not cheap. We saw that in choosing joy in circumstances. Where Paul was, he had to willfully choose and decide. So it is in relationships. It doesn't come naturally. He said, So the first thing I am going to do is that I'm going to fight for unity. I'm going to fight for oneness. So i got to look out beyond myself. The second thing we need to to do is to act like Jesus. One of the problems with reading our Bibles is that sometimes we come across our favorite Bible passage, and we lift up our favorite passage, and we can present it out of its context. Now, I'm I'm treading on a little little gently here because what we're getting ready to get into is really the high watermark in terms of Christology in the New Testament. It is an enormous passage. But the primary intent of Paul giving this Christological profile of the incarnation and the death of our Lord and Savior and his exaltation is not to talk necessarily about that, but in its context, he's using Jesus as the ultimate illustration in terms of what relationships should be about. And so I'm going I'm to lift the four statements that I really believe are implied by Paul in this illustration. In, in, in fact, he's saying relationships in the body of Christ, relationships among Christians, are so important. The the, the, the condition of those relationships are so important that I got to give you the ultimate illustration to underscore how important they are. It's not just a matter of your preference or compartmentalize a little messy relationship that you got over here and you get on with your life. Oh no 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 and he gives us the ultimate illustration but he sets it up here in verse 5 he goes uh, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus don't skip over those words this is this is this is pretty pretty incredible stuff here paul says i need you to think about your relationship And your relationships and act and think the same way that jesus does but you say i'm not jesus i'm a fallen person yeah but notice what he says in the text i want you to have this mind among yourselves which is yours In other words, Paul says, what i am not ready to tell you? You have the capacity to do this. You've got the capacity to do this. It's yours in Christ Jesus. If you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, the capacity to have wonderful, rich, wholesome relationships in terms of your perspective, you can't do what somebody else doesn't want to do, but in terms of your perspective, you've got the capacity and the power to do it. You can think like Jesus, you can act like Jesus. He says, it's yours. It's yours. The only reason why you're dealing with this mess is because you want to. You don't don't have to think carnally. You you can have incredible relationships. What are you gonna have to do? It's costly, you're gonna have to act like Jesus. Jesus Christ is a supreme example of humility and selfless concern for others. And that's the whole connection here. He says, I, Jesus didn't look out for his own interest, and neither should you. Jesus gave up, he knew he was, and so should you. So let me make the four statements here that I think Paul is making. And I think you see this in the illustration. This is an illustration in context on relationships here. The first statement is this, is that we are secure. Again, pick it up in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now here you have it. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You say, what does that mean? Well, listen, it's, it's pretty straightforward. In other words, when he says a little, it's a little awkward phrasing here. He didn't count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Meaning this, he knew who he was. He didn't have to fight for his equality with God. He knew he was equal to God. He knew it. He knew it. And this is important to understand the, his his humility and his humiliation and his death on the cross. You see, the, the point being is this Jesus was not trying to find out who he was, and there were some inadequacies and holes in himself, and somehow or another, you know, he didn't feel good about himself. He said, Can you like me? And this kind of thing. No, no, he was secure. He was secure. And this is, what, this is what Paul is trying to get across to us. We're secure. Just as Jesus knew who he was, you know who you are. I want to say this to any teenager in this audience right now, and I want you to put it in the back of your mind. You may not realize it until five or ten years later. So just write it down and come back to it. You do not have to borrow your identity or security from other people. Do not borrow your identity or security from any relationship. You bring identity and security to all your relationships. This is the problem with many a young couple. When they get married, they think their new hubby is a fourth member of the Trinity. And you're looking for him to be be what only God can be for you. Now, you bring that sense of security with you. You bring that sense of value with you. And every time you start looking for other people to give you what only God can give you, you're a mess.
1: Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy. Choose joy in our relationships, the title of today's message. We'll get to the second part next week and continue looking at these four statements the Apostle Paul is making. The first statement again, we are secure. This is all part of a series of messages titled Choose Joy, and hope you'll be able to join us each week as Crawford develops this biblical instruction to choose joy in all aspects of our walk with Christ. If you'd like to follow along more closely to these messages, listen to them as often as needed by connecting with our website, livingalegacy.org. Recent messages are always available there. Another option is to download the series to your audio player, and you can do it for free by clicking on the link mp3 at livingalegacy.org. Please let us know that you listen on radio or online. This is part of the valuable interaction you can have with us. Look for the Contact Us link at livingalegacy.org. We'll look forward to another visit next week right here. I'm Bill Davis. Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.